back. I was always really okay. impressed by you because, like, whenever I was leaving, <laughs> out there on the road running, and I'm just like, I am so fat. Like, I just <laughs> I don't do anything. <laughs> Welcome to the Web of Tomorrow. We're your hosts, Riley Carasquillo and Adam Harris. And today we have our first guest. Yay! This is Laura Levitt, and uh, I do know that you were the UX designer of the year at Domo. And but you've been working at Domo for one year. Cool. I like just hit my year mark in December, mid December. So, so where did you work before that? So I worked actually at Johnson & Johnson oh, cool. doing packaging design. I worked on Band-Aid primarily. Oh, really? I did the kid Band-Aids. Nuh-uh. I did the Star Wars collector tins. Are you serious? I did. That is awesome. My, well, my wife's a nurse. Oh, so cool. So, like, Band-Aids weirdly are a big part of our life, right? So that's, I mean, and I like Star Wars. And yeah. So that's super cool. Oh, the collector's tins tin project was very cool. Was that was that UX or more just graphic design? Um, I think, I think that's actually, it, it brings up an interesting question, I think, because I think often people consider UX design, um, only digital, like that you're working on a digital product only. And honestly, I mean, and, and I think this is the first title that I've had at Domo that is actually like UX designer. Whereas before I was like, I don't know, what was I? Freelance designer, (laughs) junior designer, something like that. Um, but Johnson and Johnson is like, you know, this, they're this huge corporation and they need yeah. to know that like what you're producing, what you're designing is going to sell. So they actually do like all of this qualitative as well as quantitative, like testing, including eye tracking, like where they'll like wow. list, you know, they'll have the, they'll yeah. set up an actual shelf full of all the competitors you know, they would say SKUs or like packaging yeah. and then the packaging that you designed and they would make sure that like the eye naturally kind of gravitates to, to their product first wow. and, and offer suggestions. So it is definitely this like, um, tried and true UX experience still. Mm-hmm. The goal in mind is to sell the product, which isn't, you know, it can be, I think in a digital realm, you have a lot more like purposes than just trying to sell, you know? I was talking with Adam earlier about how, um, you know, you can be a UX designer without ever touching any kind of, like, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, Adobe software, like, Sketch or whatever, right? Like, you can just be a researcher. Like, you don't have to build interfaces and still be part of the user experience design process. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's take a, a step back and talk a little bit about how you got into this world sure so I grew up always thinking that I was going to be an artist I loved Michelangelo so much when I was in the sixth grade he was like my hero I when I graduated from high school I had this art scholarship I decided to be an art major and then I quit school for a little bit and took glass blowing classes no way that's awesome (laughs) and then after glass blowing I took fashion design and pattern making classes Anyway, all these other things happened, and I was like, maybe I should actually go to real school and have a degree that can do something. And I, I applied. I, I love comic books. I'm really into, um, like, sequential storytelling. I think it's just very interesting. Cool. And I um, 
I applied to... You were, like, the most... Okay, like, I just need to, like... I want to pick your brain about so many things now. You just, like, <laughs> literally, like, because I grew up in a, a family of uh, four sisters and a mom, uh-huh. and that's it. So, like, patterns... And stuff like my mom loves sewing and, and things like that. So like you just said that they like, the comic books and you're just like moving glass, glass blowing. blowing like holy cow <laughs> like that's incredible. No wonder you won. Jack of uh, all worthless trades. No, <laughs> no, <Those are> worthless, <laughs> worthless. It brings my mom a lot of joy. So okay. I applied um, to BYU Brigham Young University um, to their art program, and you have to choose you know like what your major is going to be. So I applied both to the illustration program and the graphic design program without even really knowing what graphic design was like I had a friend who was like Laura you know you're gonna have to use a computer right and I was like (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) because I was scared I was like not a computer savvy person so I got accepted to both and um I had another friend who was like you should really do the graphic design program it's a really competitive program like congrats for even getting in and you can have a job at the end. And I was like, cool, that sounds good. Anyway, the graphic design program at BYU is very intense. It's also very, um, it's very competitive. It's super good. I highly recommend it to people who are up to the challenge. But up until this point, I think they're, they are introducing a little bit more of like UX to their curriculum. But when I graduated in 2011, um, I came out with like a very strong emphasis in, kind of like traditional design principles and like typography and very, very print focused mm-hmm. because that's just kind of like the professors there are like very print focused. Mm-hmm. So then I moved to New York and worked, you know, a number of different places. And then I kind of had this shift where I realized um, to me, like all of the most compelling and innovative design was taking place digitally. <laughs> I was so used to seeing like all the really beautiful print pieces and I still, I mean, there are definitely still a lot of things in print that get me excited, but I was like, I really would love to help build a product instead of just trying to sell something. A lot of print design, especially now is so geared just toward marketing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what if we could solve other problems? Like there are all these interesting apps that are like really trying to get people to lose weight or like help you invest money well or like you know all of these things and I was like that is so interesting to solve real problems so I used all of our money in savings from our savings account and took a UX bootcamp class and thank goodness it ended up being worth it which one did you take um, there's an organization in New York called General Assembly. Oh, sweet. I've heard that. That I took it through. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I didn't feel, honestly, like I learned a lot of new design principles because I, I feel like if you are a trained designer, you have been taught to think through a design process. You've been, you've been taught to ask the right questions. More than anything, I felt like it taught me a lot about, um, like tech jargon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and just like yes. the approach and like, you know, what an agile team is. And it helped me um, get a portfolio piece that was, I, you know, I created this mobile portfolio piece. We gear this towards like students and people who are learning cool. and stuff. And uh, and so it's cool to hear about uh, boot camps that have worked really well for people. Yeah. No, I loved, I loved my boot camp and I was so grateful that it ended up, I don't know. I mean, Domo was willing to hire me based off of my portfolio after the boot camp. So I was like... 
Yes. <laughs> it was scary to use all my savings. It really was. So. And now employee of the year. I'm sorry I brought that up again. But, um, <laughs> it's, it was just like a beautiful journey when we got here. And now I mean, we're seriously, there. to a certain degree, I feel like um, my boss was willing to like take a chance on me, though. That's cool. That I was just like very, very grateful for. That's so, cool. so, so how big, how big of a part of UX is changing user behavior? I hope I'm prepared enough to speak to it because, in some oh, ways, yeah. it's like this total magical thing, right? Like changing behavior is kind of, um, it's like unlocking the key to the universe if you can change people's behavior. Yeah. yeah. You know? Even changing your own behavior <laughs> is hard. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's like, like I would never claim as a UX designer that I am a psychologist or, you know, something like that. The idea that like a slight shift in hierarchy is going to make something way more visible to somebody so that they draw connections. I mean, obviously at Domo, we're trying to make um, data become real to people. We're trying to make digestible infographics. Mm -hmm. And that is really exciting. Like it's very cool to have, because I'm not a data person. I I do not get what all the data scientists and, you know, I don't know. There's like so many smart people here, but to um, have them, you know, kind of distill it down to a level where they can describe to me what's happening, what's happening with the data, what somebody needs to do with this data in terms of use case, and then make that as digestible as I can to a user is is like very cool if they can actually make business decisions off of that um, if they have greater visibility to numbers that matter to them like that's very rewarding it's very very cool it's a, it's also often super challenging typically the ways that I will change user behavior are very very small this is like you're getting down to design principles like hierarchy and like making sure that you're thinking about it the right way um, so what is hierarchy Hierarchy is seen like color or size or something, mm-hmm. you know, some other element, visual element to make something stand out the most prominently, right? But beyond hierarchy, it's understanding the user need of what hierarchy will make sense to them. I feel like a lot of times designers uh, don't give themselves enough credit because I would be, I would be <laughs> really? nowhere without a designer. And just because I can implement something just... But just because you're not implementing it doesn't make it less valuable. Sure. I still feel like maybe going back to, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, like I guess before we started recording though, in some ways I'm, I am comfortable owning this title. I, I truly am comfortable owning the title of, of user experience designer, but in some ways I feel like it is a little bit of an audacious title that's been created because a user experience um, is so related to all the components. Like if if the product is not functioning smoothly, like like a really well-built product is a huge part of how somebody uses it, right? So and I feel like my title is presumptuous because <laughs> software engineer, like I'm not an engineer. <laughs> you know, uh, I saw this uh, article uh, just making fun of the title saying, um, we're going to rename programming to Googling Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And, and instead of giving out computer science degrees, we'll give out Googling Stack Overflow degrees. All I'm saying is that all the components, like all the people involved, product managers, like they all all really influence the experience. And I feel like um, if there's any mistake that designers, young designers make after going to school, it's that they are they feel like they're experts 
sort of, Hmm. and not understanding um, how inclusive it should be of all of those roles. And that Hmm. a lot of times those people, the other people in the other roles, um, will have really great ideas. Or, I don't know, because design, design theory, I think, ends up, it's really important and I'm not saying sell out, but a lot of times it ends up being very different in practice than like what you learned in school, if that makes sense. <laughs> I've, I've seen a lot of people who are kind of design purists um, like not function really well in actual job environments because they um, they feel almost like they're they're defenders of the faith or like. Oh, interesting. Does that make sense? Is this too obscure for your audience? <laughs> this is so common for designers. Like, you have to work well with people. I think especially yeah. as a UX designer, you really have to be a team player. No, I think this is good because uh, I don't think we've ever actually included a uh, communication element to our to like this to this type of work in uh, in our podcast. Yeah. Here, at least, it's like the make or break of success on the UX team. But I, I think it makes sense that we're supposed to be, as a UX designer, you're supposed to be empathetic. You're supposed yeah, to be, yeah. like, listening to, you're supposed to be aware of what your users need and listening to that and being willing to um, iterate and, like, be malleable with your ideas to match that. Yeah. You should also be willing to do that with your own team that yeah. you're making the product with, right? right? What you're saying is to understand people, you need to be good at working with people. <laughs> Yeah, I am saying that. I'm totally saying that. I really do see that as a huge piece yeah, of cool. what I do every day. Uh, so was it was it challenging when you first started working with developers to speak their language or vice versa? It hasn't been for me. Um, I think I've been lucky to work with great developers, but I'm also somebody who, um, like, I want to ask I'm not afraid to ask. I'm like, please explain this to me. Explain the limitations of like why, you know, why this would be difficult to implement. Mm. You know, even often when I request changes, I'll be like, look, I don't know how this impacts your timeline. I don't know what, like, I don't know if this is a small change for you or if this is a big change for you. Please let me know because if it's a huge change and it's going to impact timeline, then we'll try to come up with a compromise. And so how much the HTML, CSS, and JavaScript do you need to know? Um, My advice, honestly, I mean, this has worked out for me, though, um, is to not run out and try to be like a jack-of-all-trades. I think it is awesome if you know that. Like, if if JavaScript is your thing and you really want to learn it, that is awesome. It's never going to hurt you, you know, as a designer. Um, For me, I'm not interested in working it in an organization that is trying to just find like like to me a job description I don't know maybe this isn't true though because I just saw a job description recently with um Bloomberg that was you know it was it was a designer position where they were like you know please please write code and I was like whoa Bloomberg for me I'm less interested at working in an organization who wants me to be like a total jack of all trades yeah because to me that's showing that the design process maybe kind of like merges with the development process. I am doubtful that it creates the best user experience. We talked about a little bit about how design can change user behavior. Mm-hmm. And how do you know if you're asking too much to the user? Is there anything you can do there? Um, I guess I'm, it depends on what context you're... I feel like users can be stubborn, right? They don't like change. Users can definitely be stubborn. I mean, one thing that I would... The way you're phrasing it, maybe this is too... Hopefully it's not 
too specific of an answer. Um, but it's really important as much as you want to be up on the latest web trends and stuff of, of like what's happening in user interface design, you really want to stick to familiar conventions. Conventions, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so important. If you're trying to like reinvent the dropdown and get users to change that way where you're like, oh my gosh, I have this amazing design idea. I'm totally going to reinvent the internet. <laughs> it's going like, to be like a scroll wheel. and uh, Yeah, and yeah. Totally. It's, it's going to be, like <laughs> it's going to be probably crazy. And, um, I mean, all the time, even when I was, you know, in my, like in school studying print, my professor would say all the time, don't reinvent the wheel. Seriously, don't reinvent the wheel. Copy something that is so simple and beautiful that you love. It makes me interested about, you know, how like the settings gear isn't, is kind of being replaced by the hamburger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that happen? How does that develop? I wonder. Sorry, that's just a random question, but like... Yeah, how do conventions develop? Because like, I totally, develops I, web totally, trends. I totally agree with you with that, or, but like, there's yeah. going to be someone, a job I mean, or I, I do think that, that the hamburger icon originated from mobile design because... Oh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, because it's representing that mm-hmm. stacked, you know, that right. narrow stacked menu. And then the pull to refresh is another example from mobile. It mm-hmm. has become a convention. Right. So you don't, you don't want the refresh, I guess the idea is you don't want the refresh to take up space, but you still want them to feel like they can refresh. Yeah, definitely. Thank goodness for mobile conventions. Yeah. I feel like when web pages were like, you know, that everything had to be above the fold, whatever the fold is, because yeah. it's always changing yeah. based on what monitor you There is seeing. no fold. There is no fold. Thank you. There is no fold, but I feel like <laughs> mobile like brought that forward and I'm like, Yes! I had somebody in a meeting last week, though, be like, we're worried about the fold. And I was like, no, <laughs> there is no fold. <laughs> this is something that I'm really interested in as we try to gear this towards people who might be interested mm-hmm. in getting to UX. Um, what's like, what are some like resources that they can go to uh, to dip their toes in before they make a big jump like boot camp or college or like, how can they get into it before making that decision? Sure. Um, I think maybe the most important thing is trying to think of a digital problem. Ugh, what am I? I? I had an idea for an app that I was, like, very excited about. And I was like, I should try to sketch this out. Um, you know, I should try to work through the reality of putting this together. If you have any kind of interest in that, you know, start and you'll kind of understand how Mm -hmm. difficult it is to arrange your thoughts and like make sure that your flow is cohesive. (laughs) It's like much more difficult when you're doing it than what you think because apps, you know, beautiful (laughs) interfaces, beautiful user experiences are really simple and really intuitive. And I think that can make it sometimes seem easy when in fact there's like all this work that's gone into it and a lot of smart thinking involved. Um, So that, and then um, I read first this book by Steve Krug, which, or Krug, I don't know how you say his last name. Don't Make Me Think. Don't Make Me Think, which I think is a really, I think it's a really great book. I mean, he, I just, there's like this example of how Amazon got huge that I always think of from that book. Um, Yeah, I think that's a great book for designers and developers. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I think it's so good. He talks about how Amazon's success is basically due to just having a single search field. Because, like, Barnes & Noble, who was also selling books, had this whole, like, you had to filter for what book. It was, like, genre, you know. Um, or author. Or, yeah. I mean, it was more like Title. a library. It's like how you search for a library right. book now. 
Um, and Amazon was just like, let's have one search field. And that was pretty much what made Amazon, which is so cool to have that kind of really simple UX innovation that has like changed the world and the internet, you know? I would also encourage people to not just think about UX design as being like the internet or an app. Um, I think there are so many places to draw inspiration from, even in the sense of like, um, (laughs) something I wanted to touch on because we talk about so much, um, research going into product design. Think about storytelling. To me, that's something I pull from my more traditional graphic design background because you're always talking about storytelling in the sense that like, you know, we were learning how to repackage a product and I remember someone in my class was doing milk, which is kind of a challenging project. Yeah. But, um, you know, she, she ended up going with this very cool kind of abstracted graphic of grass. And the story that it tells is that cows eat grass mm. and then milk comes from the cow. And so, you you know, it kind of removes all of this reality of like the industrialized process of milk as we know it. But I think that there are so many ways, instead of just completely copying, like, the look and feel or brand of some website you think is cool. I don't, like, like really think about the story that you're telling. Does that make sense? No, totally. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of... Um, Does that go along with, like, creating personas and thinking, oh, what what is this user... Totally. Totally. They're, it's they're like, going throughout their day, and what are they going to do in exactly, the situation? Yeah. Yes. What story appeals to this user? What... Um, I don't know. There are so many... Anyway, I have, like, examples of, I think, apps that tell good stories, even though they're, like, very utilitarian. But um, but I think it's something that sometimes gets lost in digital design and web design just a little bit because people are just like, ah, oh, we have the startup idea. Let's just throw a logo that kind of looks cute and techy. And I'm like, no, let's... Like, there are awesome design and storytelling principles that you can pull into this to make it so much better. Awesome. Anyway. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, you are so welcome. Thanks for having me. So rate, subscribe, and we hope you enjoyed this. We love to hear any comments that you may have or questions that you may have, and we love to answer them.